Before we get started on Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine, we'd like to tell you about the Miracle Moments Luncheon to benefit Easter Seals UCP Port Health. Earfluence, which produces this podcast, is a proud sponsor, and we'd like you to join us May 1st, 2024 at 1130 Eastern Time at the Hilton Garden Inn in Cary. This event helps raise funds and awareness for the life-changing direct services provided to more than 40,000 children, adults, and families living with disabilities, mental health, and substance challenges so they can live their best lives. We'll put more information on Easter Seals and the luncheon in the show notes, but again, that's Wednesday, May 1st at 1130 at the Hilton Garden Inn in Cary, and we hope to see you there. Attention bourbon lovers, are you ready for a taste sensation like no other? Old Raleigh Distillery, recently awarded Best Micro Distillery in the U.S., invites you to experience the art of whiskey blending firsthand. Located just east of Raleigh in downtown Zebulon, the distillery specializes in premium, micro-batched bourbon, and limited-release whiskeys. Visit the tasting room Tuesday through Sunday to savor a wide variety of whiskeys, specialty cocktails, wine, and beer. And don't miss a chance to peek behind the curtain with a tour of the blending operation every Saturday and Sunday at 1 and 2 p.m. For more information and to plan your visit, visit oldraleydistillery.com. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Old Raleigh Distillery for exclusive updates and behind-the-scenes content. Old Raleigh Distillery, where every sip tells a story. What it really comes down to is the the vision, you know, of a restaurant and bringing together all the pieces, all the players, key players, to, to create something way better than I can do on my own. You're listening to Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine. I'm your host, Gina Stevens. You may know Raleigh Magazine, but what you may not know is how we get our stories. It's all inside baseball. You'd be surprised what people will tell us. RMO is telling stories no one else is telling. So this podcast is where you get the inside access to stories you won't read anywhere else. So let's dive into some of Raleigh Magazine's biggest stories. You've heard us talk about Fenton on this podcast and the Fab Five superstar chefs and bar owners who are the reason people want to eat and drink and carry. You've got Mike Lee with M Sushi, Kevin Barrett with Dram and Draft, Scott Crawford with Crawford Brothers Steakhouse, Steve Palmer with Coletta, and our guest today, Ford Fry with Super Rica. Over the weekend, I had a chance to spend some time with Ford at a corner table in his newest restaurant in Cary. We discussed why he came to Cary, how he names his restaurants, and yes, the right pronunciation. And he even teases what might be coming to Raleigh next. And believe me, you're going to leave this one hungry for Tex-Mex. Ford, thanks for taking time to talk to me today. We're sitting inside Superica, your new Tex-Mex restaurant that's coming to Fenton. Congratulations. Thank and you. And I'm excited Thank you're you. in North Carolina. I know you're already in Charlotte, but I'm in Raleigh or in Cary, it's Wake County. It's different, isn't it? It's very different. Yeah. I mean... I uh, haven't been to this area much because obviously because it's farther, but um, it is way different to me. It just feels so much different than Charlotte. It really is. Yeah. We talk about it a lot. There's this push-pull as Raleigh and Cary is growing that people go, and it's not a it's not a slight to Charlotte, but we feel like Charlotte's a very different city, yeah. more urban, more glass, that kind of thing, and we don't want to lose the fabric of yeah. Raleigh. Yeah. What made you decide to come to Cary and open a restaurant? Because I think because we were already well, originally it started with you know me growing up in Texas um, and moving to Atlanta. I found we didn't have like the Tex-Mex that I 
grew up eating. So it wasn't like a necessarily a food that I wanted to cook in a restaurant, but it was a restaurant that I wanted to go to and eat at. Um, and I noticed in the Southeast was just kind of lacking. Everything was pretty much the same when it comes to a Mexican restaurant in like a strip center or whatever. And occasionally there'd be a, a, some chain of some sort. So after going, making our way to Charlotte, this whole Raleigh, Durham, Cary, Chapel Hill really just intrigued us because it's close, fairly close, I'd say. So it's just kind of more of that just expansion. For the most part, it's about going places we like to go to, you know, in cities that make sense. Well, I remember hearing a story. We interviewed you in November of 2019 for a story. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, our cover was an illustration that we had we I remember created. this. Oh, so long uh, ago. Yes. And we announced that three celebrity chefs were coming to Raleigh. It was you, Katsuji Tanabe, and Kenny Gilbert. Yeah. And you talked about having an experience in the Cary area with one of your children. Yeah. Yeah. So my son, my youngest son, played tennis, played tennis for Auburn. Part of that process of a young tennis player is traveling around and Carrie was a, you know, I'd never heard of Carrie before, you know, and it was like that was a big tournament for him. That's how we knew Carrie. That's probably a good experience. There are lots of yeah. sports, families, that kind of thing. Here. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to jump around a little bit Go just because stream of thought. So jump in if there's something you want to share. Um, 16, 17 restaurants across four states. Almost tw- maybe twenty one now. Oh, okay, all right. This will be twenty two. I may get you to update me. <laughs> You're only forty eight hours from this location at Sapirica opening at Fenton. Yeah. And I know it's a little different now than when you opened your first one or your second one or your third, maybe your tenth one. Does it still get nerve wracking when you open a new spot? No, not really. I'm pretty, I'm pretty casual. Um, and you know, I just noticed like when I sit on meetings and I sit in meetings and I hear our people talk, I just get like chills because I'm like, these people are so good. These people are so good at what they do and how they inspire people. Um, one thing is that we, we do as a company too, is that we don't really worry about people's weaknesses. You know, we look at their strengths and then we put them in that role of where their strengths lie and we don't worry too much about their weakness. We just backfill with someone to, that has their, whatever their weaknesses, there's their strength. So when, when we have these openings, it's for the most part, it's just great. All these things. And, I, and it makes my, makes my life a lot easier. It's so, easy because yeah. you've got the right people. Yeah. So when I was reading about your company, Rocket Farm, yeah, there's Rocket Farm University. Okay. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that. How'd that come about and what so, is it? So that came about. So a long time ago, I worked in Aspen, Colorado and I had a boss. Um, his name was Toby. Long story short, we worked at two different. We worked in Aspen together, and we worked in um, Santa Barbara area together. And he was the best boss I've ever had. So I always thought, you know, so so when I got to restaurant number two, I knew I needed someone like Toby. So I looked him up, and he had a Atlanta address. I'm just like, wait a minute, this is weird, you know. Mm-hmm. So long story short, we. we reconnected he had been doing just all this consulting all over the place um and i talked him into coming on and he asked me he says what do you want to do and i said well you know in the past restaurants were run by they were start they used to be start started by like front of the house people the manager or whatever was that was the owner and i said i really want to be a culinary a food driven company run by chefs for the most part, I want chefs to learn how to run a business because a lot of times chefs are 
they just cook and that's it. You know what I mean? And I think they need, they, and so I had this passion for providing that education. So, so the philosophy was, so he asked me, he says, well, what do you want to build? So I said, I want to build a company that is chef focused, chef driven, but we need to teach versus mandate. I, I don't know. He, he says it better, but it's more like we don't want to tell people what to do. We want to teach them so that they make the right decisions. Right. Um, I read that about if you. If that makes that, sense. You know? it was, and I thought that was really fascinating as somebody who owns a business. It's like, I don't want to have to dictate the rules and tell you how to do everything. I want to hire smart people, give them the tools, and let them think for themselves. Yeah. yeah. You, you're right. That's not typically the restaurant model. But it, 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 it isn't, you know, but it's so, cause that's what I noticed the restaurant model was. And, and I saw it just not work in so many situations. Cause I learned that I'm only as good as the restaurant I'm in at that moment, you know, but unless someone else looks at it as an op- owner operator or as someone who wants to make things better every day, it'll struggle, you know? So if we can coach those people or teach those or inspire those people to be better every day and empower them you know, to make their own decisions makes everyone's life a lot better makes and a better workplace too. For sure. Do you name your own restaurants? Yeah. They're all your names? <laughs> yeah. Are they, are there stories behind them? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so tell me a couple of them. Like, I mean, I, I don't know which ones are, are the most interesting to you. Your first restaurant, which was Junction Kitchen. JCT is what JCT, it was called. Sorry. Right. That's JCT a good, Kitchen. That's a good story. Oh, and, and we'll talk about names, too, because the first thing, I hope people listen to this, you know, and I hope you don't feel bad. But everyone asks, and they send me text messages, that how do you pronounce this Mexican restaurant? You know, look at your face. Um, people I, can't see That it. means no. I mispronounced it. Yes, but it makes sense. Everyone asks this question. So it's super Rica is how it's pronounced. But everyone, they, it's so funny how people send me, we have an argument and we had a bet going and is it superica? Is it super Rica? Those are really the two. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it is super Rica. Super uh, meaning kind of very rich is what that means. But as far as back to naming, like it's me. Okay. And, so now I am embarrassed. No, no, don't be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 50 50 thing. Um, you know, Alvin is our, and he is our graphic designer, you know, and he and I, uh, just really, we love humor. We love things that are funny. We love, uh, coming up with stories or interesting ways to find restaurant names. So he and I pretty much do it together. And it's kind of like naming a kid where you don't tell anybody because every, anytime you tell someone, then they're going to put it down in some sort of way. Okay. So we don't tell anybody until it's pretty much too late to change our minds Um, i love that so the first one was so hard because i i did tell people the names and i did tell partners the names and all that and what was so jct is located on the west side in atlanta right on a train track and we were looking down the train track and there was a street sign a street sign on the train track which was a, a marker of some sort that said it said like Vermont junction and and then I used to think about like, so I'm like, you know, I really want this restaurant to be something that's like, it's just like, it's been here forever, you know? So let's say, let's pretend the name was Junction, but over time people didn't want to, they wanted to abbreviate it. So they just, they just said, oh, let's just go to JCT. So that was the reason for that one. It was, it was almost like we, we fast forwarded the life of the restaurant when that's we first opened idea, it. So and that way, a lot of people didn't know what JCT was. It was just, you know, it was just something easy. It just kind of rolled off mm-hmm. your tongue. And 
that was that one. I mean, there's they all have stories. So tell me a couple, if you don't. I mean, of, the, of your favorite stories, like with names. Cause- so one was um, that our third restaurant was is the Optimist, mm-hmm. and my dad. I grew up uh, sailing with my dad. My dad was a said love sailing boats and i asked him i said hey can you just i'm just trying to rack my brain think about names and and i said just send me a list of whatever you can think of nautical terms or boats or whatever you know so he sent me like a list of like 50 items of some sort and he put optimist or opti or something like that was was down there and that's a type of boat it's like a learning it's like a little training boat and then I thought, you know, the optimist sounds cool because I'm an optimistic person and it's about a boat and this is kind of a coastal thing. So that's where that name came from. And then we had a second restaurant that was supposed to be the sister restaurant to the optimist and that was called Beetle Cat. That's so everyone's like, what is Beetle Cat, you know? And Beetle Cat is also a type of boat. So um, just random stuff right. like that. But at the end of the day, the name's... It's probably the hardest part of opening a restaurant is coming up with the dang name. And I like you talk about Alvin and then mm-hmm. your art. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, it, you really don't get, they all have some continuity to them yeah. and a same look, which I love. Yeah. They're, the art's really incredible. A local icon since 1949 and where Raleigh comes to celebrate, savor, and enjoy. Village District is celebrating 75 years of tradition and taste. You can join the celebration for their 75th anniversary on Saturday, April 20th from 3 to 8 p.m. on Woodburn Road. Enjoy live music, pop-ups, a kid-friendly area, and the launch of their Village 75 beer, exclusively brewed by Standard Beer and Food. For more event details and other Village District happenings, you can follow Village District on Instagram at shopvillagedistrict, Visit their website at shopvillagedistrict.com or sign up to receive texts by texting the word village to 919-701-0202. The pandemic, and I don't want to talk mm-hmm. much about this because nobody yeah. likes to hear about it or talk about it, but it's really changed the food scene in Raleigh. I mean, obviously the restaurants that survived, thank goodness, you know, hunkered down and our community supported them, but it has changed the industry and we've had a problem, staffing shortages. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Can you talk a little bit about how yeah. you think what we've gone through as a country, as a nation's world, maybe has changed the food business, the restaurant business? Yeah, I mean, I ask that question all the time and I try to ask people and try to get straight answers from them especially people who've left and um the one the weirdest thing about the pandemic is it's almost like it was a it's almost like we were like a snow globe and and there was no snow in there and then the pandemic came and we shook the snow globe and it started snowing and then where the snow settled was just in a whole different place was just so weird like we had some restaurants that were kind of slower than normal you know before the pandemic but then during the pandemic or after the pandemic they shot off like a rocket and some of the ones that were busier came back a little bit slower and then and then the whole staffing shortage has been crazy because everyone and it's not it it is global Uh, we just got back from ireland and i was looking at restaurants and talking to people and they were like 
Yeah, we're only open these days because of staffing shortages. Um, so it is a it is a global thing, which is just crazy. The only thing, and the only thing that I can think about that I hear that makes sense to me is just, I mean, just the social shakeup and the uncertainty and everyone rethinking their lives or whatever. Uh, some people said, and these were some people in Nashville said, you know, it just wasn't fun anymore. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Why wasn't it fun anymore? Was it because, you know, during the pandemic, it was really hard on the service industry people because not only were they opening and closing and shutting down and cleaning their restaurants and sanitizing their restaurants, and then guests were really difficult. There, guests, there, some guests were great. They tipped like crazy. Some guests wanted to see masks and all kinds of precautions and would get mad if there wasn't that. And then some guests would get mad if there was. So it was like, you just couldn't win. So I think, I think the server, I think just the industry itself for us, and maybe it was other, I think it's other industries as well. Just had a little bit of, a little bit of beat down, I'd say during that time. But the positive thing now is, is we are seeing it start to change really just recently, really just within the last, I don't know, maybe two weeks or so because we judge it because we were hiring in yeah. houston nashville atlanta raleigh charlotte so it's interesting yeah and, and one of the things that we heard continually and, and raleigh is different than the atlanta market for sure and yeah. i don't know as much about houston but i was in atlanta recently service industry hasn't been treated very much like a career in this market yeah it's typically the person that's maybe the college student or the person mm-hmm. who's you know in between jobs and so it doesn't come with a lot of security whether it's salary or perks or vacation or paid time off sick time right you recently added something to your mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. childbirth recovery leave and parental leave mm-hmm. that's a big deal that is a very big deal for the industry yeah, we did. We just, and it, you know, honestly, I have to credit my director of marketing and my assistant. She does mainly director of marketing, but she also kind of covers some of my stuff. And she just had a baby, and she has been hounding me for it. It's just not fair, you know what I mean? It's like women have to do this. I'm like, you're right, you know. And it's not that much. It's really not that much money. But what it speaks to the women in the industry, and that was the one thing we were noticing is a lot of the a lot of the people who hadn't come back were women were females and females like i don't know i don't know if i should even say this the guys are going to get mad at you me should but, say it. but <laughs> i want like females just you don't have to worry about them they're the best <laughs> they're the best guys are sometimes i don't know i can't say the word but uh just not that bright sometimes you know what i mean <laughs> sometimes they are but we love females. and it's like what can we do to incentivize that well and it gives it gives someone I just think when you feel good about where you work, and, and I again, I was in the service industry in college, but not since. But that, mm-hmm. that security, that piece of security that comes with knowing if I want to have a family, I can yeah. come back or I'm going to be taken care of. That's that's yeah. a game changer. Yeah. I mean, we always protected them, but but it was more, you know, they could always, we're always assured they could come back. Right. But it was more about you know, do I really need to use up all of my vacation time or is there some sort of paid maternity leave? You know, I don't think women asked to be the childbearers of the world. You know what I mean? It wasn't their choice. You know what I mean? And it's such a, such a great thing. So it's like, 
you know, let's pay for it. Not a slight to men, but I'm not sure if you guys were the um, child bearers that the population would no, be what it is today. it would today. be terrible. <laughs> no slight to men. No. Um, often, a lot of chefs that I have interviewed over the years have said, oh, yeah, I knew at age seven I wanted to be a chef or I knew I wanted to do this. You joke a little bit about, you know, you weren't the greatest student. You had mm. fun. We're SEC um, colleagues here because you were at Arkansas mm-hmm. for yep. a little while. yep. And you changed your mind and decided to go the culinary route. Yeah. You know, first of all, as a kid, you know, I, I mean, I didn't grow up like, like some, you know, say Italian families or Greek families where the, the, the mother, the grandmother was really a fantastic cook of some sort. You know, we were, sorry, (laughs) sorry, mom, if you hear this, but we were the cream of mushroom soup and egg noodle (laughs) casserole family okay <laughs> so um that was all fine but we also did travel a lot and we also did eat out all the time and we ate out at great places so i loved going to restaurants but back then a chef wasn't on the radar you know there was it was the guy at the front door in a double-breasted suit and a tie those were the those are the stars so i think what now that i look back upon it i love the experience of a restaurant i love the going and dining and being served and and all of this so i was a, a horrible bus boy and i mean the worst bus boy um <laughs> i would like eat off the plates that came back and you know what i mean <laughs> i think i probably got fired and then i was the worst server too so i just thought okay i'm doomed like i can't uh, so i guess i'll just go to college so i went to college joined a fraternity you know didn't go to class but i loved to cook we would always you know, go in the fraternity house kitchen and start cooking, you know, in the middle of the night, you know what I mean? And, um, so my dad just said, Hey, what, you know, he saw an article, something about fast track careers, which was a full on lie, but it was about, um, culinary school. So that was kind of the height, the heyday of the beginning of culinary school. And I, and I was, so I went off to culinary school in Vermont and it was fantastic. It was awesome. It was and what it did. It just, it just, it just validated that I was a learner by doing mm-hmm. versus a, a, a class. You know, someone says you're ADD, but it's not necessarily ADD. It's more like hyper attentive or I'm so aware of everything going on around me. And it's made, that's what made school tough for me. So, you know, as a chef, I loved it. I love the experience. I love the experience of traveling around and cooking different places and going to different restaurants. And then it just kind of morphed into, Hey, I want to do this for myself. And then, it, you know, and then that morphed into, Hey, I want to do a lot of restaurants because I really enjoy the process. I really enjoy what it really comes down to is the, the vision, you know, of a restaurant and, bringing together all the pieces all the players key players to to create something way better that i could do than i can do on my own and that's what i do and it's like awesome like i would not change it for, for anything i do it for free you uh you said something earlier when we were talking about and this is kind of how i view my role as at the magazine is I enjoy the whole process Mm -hmm. from the start of each issue of the magazine, talking about what's going to be on the cover and what stories we're covering and it's, and it's bringing it all together. You describe yourself as being, you know, very aware of things around you. Um, You're described as someone who's very detail oriented. The details matter. Oh yeah. Um, You talked about moving things in (laughs) restaurants after you visit. So talk about the details and, because I think it matters. It really matters if you enjoy the experience. I describe myself as I'm not a foodie. Yeah. I like good food. 
but I love atmosphere and I love good service and I love warm service, not yeah. not over the top stiff. You know, the, yeah. where, where you feel a warmth in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, people ask me after a couple, after a few restaurants that succeeded pretty well, they were like, "What is the what's the secret? You know, is it the food or is it the ambiance?" And I'm like, "It is everything." You know, and I never wanted to lose any investors' money, so I just made sure every single thing was perfect. I made sure that um, the feel was right. I made sure that the re- that the lighting was right, that the music was right. I also loved like adding little things that stuck out in someone's mind. You know, our first restaurant, we had this big canister filled with lemon heads and that people could take on their way out of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that was like their final thing when they left so it kind of stuck in their brain hey i'm gonna go back and get some of those free lemon heads um (laughs) we would see okay back on women here but men wouldn't do this but women definitely did this and my wife definitely does this like she would go to the table and there's mounds and mounds of lemon heads and she would open up her purse and just (laughs) swipe about 50 of them in her purse and i saw it left and right but it kind of made me smile because it's like okay they're going to remember that. They're going to remember that every day when they see this big old bowl of lemon heads on their counter. So just just things like that. Food, I, you know, I'm not about trends. I'm about, hey, what do I want to what do I want to eat? Service all about be very knowledgeable, but don't be over the top pretentious, don't be snobby. It's hey, you're there for any kind of questions and you know all the answers, but but don't don't flaunt it. Do you have a next concept in mind? I ha- we have, okay, so the, our first restaurant, JCT, was we had a f- 10-year lease with a five-year option, so we hit that 15 years. And it was still, I would say, through the pandemic, was still going strong, but my gut told me, well, this is the truth. The truth is that fried chicken was on the menu, and we sold maybe 10% of the of the entrees were fried chicken for the most of the years as the last two years we were probably selling about 89 i'll say percent fried chicken and i'm like you know i just didn't set i didn't set out to open a fried chicken place you know and it was there for someone to kind of indulge when they want to every once in a while but not every day but not every day so we couldn't take it off the menu so so we just had to do away with JCT, which was no big deal for me because I love new things. So currently, JCT is totally gutted, stripped down to the bones so that we can bring something completely fresh. So that's the new idea that I'm really excited Any about. Any hints at what? It's been, you know, it's been talked about. It's called, it's at the downstairs restaurant. is called Little Sparrow. It's definitely an American restaurant inspired by European technique and classic foods from Europe, things like that, but definitely an American restaurant. And upstairs is called Bar Blanc, and Bar Blanc is going to be heavily focused, which currently, or used to be with JCT, was pretty much a bar. This is going to be converted into somewhat of a different restaurant, you know, focusing on steak frites. So we're we're currently, we're sourcing, all right, what is the hands down the best steak and how are we going to make these french fries the best french fries ever you just you just you know (laughs) i i don't allow myself to eat them very often for obvious reasons like the fried chicken but frites 
Yeah, yes. that would that favorite. would get me in every day. I can um, someone can convince me to break my eating all week for, for for French fries for sure. So that's the new one. That's the new one. Um, it actually it's actually it's interesting because it's actually costing us four times what it costs to build JCT. So it better be good. It'll be more expensive, but it'll be good. I'm excited about it. Timeline on that. February, March. Okay. Time to add the mix into the mix of your go-to hotspots with signature craft cocktails and neat pours, 12 rotating craft beers and eight rotating fine wines, plus cider and bubbles. The mix has the perfect pour for everyone. Take flight with beer, wine, whiskey, mezcal, and tequila. Or not in the spirit? Craft cannabis gummies and high seltzers also invite. Sprawl out on the patio, post up on the couch with your laptop on a weekday, catch the big game on multiple TVs, or cozy up in the wine library for an upscale paired tasting. Weekly events keep the good times coming from tastings to live music and more. For the full lineup of events and offerings, visit BottleMix.com. Yes, with two X's. So that's BottleMixX.com. Um, oh, you know, we are, we're looking, we, we also have a, a, another restaurant that we do is Little Ray. I'm excited about it because I eat it all the time and it's our first and only quick service restaurant and it's basically chicken au carbone and tacos and, you know, homemade tortillas, same like, so it's kind of a little sister to Superica. So there is a chance that one may make its way to Raleigh, to Raleigh itself. Um, I'm not going to say for sure because it's not for sure yet, but it's in talks. Raleigh itself is exploding with developments that are all promising, one-of-a-kind, unique restaurants yeah. from chefs oh outside the market yeah. bringing new stuff in. So that's pretty exciting to think about. It is, it is great. It's fun. You know, breakfast tacos on the weekends and things like that. It's just so good. You just won my staff over. <laughs> that is a conversation piece a lot. Do you think any of your children... Either of your sons are interested in the restaurant business? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, they never. Um, I would say my youngest son could get involved somehow through commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. So he, I think his, his mind goes that way. That's probably where, what job he's going to get right out of school. So, you know, just being around restaurants and watching us do all these restaurants. And he likes to observe. We have a funny story when he was a little kid. He was like. There was a restaurant by my house in the suburbs of Atlanta. It was in the back of a strip center that was a Chinese restaurant that you really couldn't see from the road, and it went out of business. So the next restaurant they went in was a vegetarian Chinese restaurant. So he's like, Dad, why, why would they do that? <laughs> that just does not make sense. So, you know. So, so he it, could see it clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so really, I you know, the brokers that I like are the ones that, that aren't just – signing leases just to fill you know holes it's got to be the right thing it's got to be the right thing for the the community the city like do stuff do something good you know do something fun take a risk well i can tell you this this fenton development is the first of its kind in the sense that it is it is food driven in the sense that they really put a lot of thought into the chefs and the restaurants they wanted to bring here and then figure if you get people here to eat and drink they'll shop oh yeah all you've got to do is get them out here for the, yeah, for the food. food and drink. <laughs> food. Yes, absolutely. This used to be, this was supposed to be, we're looking right next to Super Eco right now as we talk, but on the early drawings, it was a big food hall. 
but it went away for some reason. I was kind of bummed about that. Really? You know? Yeah. When I describe this place to people, I was in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago and went to Avalon, which is yeah. a sister property of yeah. this. Yeah. Similar in nature, same yeah. developer, but not exactly the same. And I was kind of impressed that there wasn't sort of the the bag restaurant. Nothing against Chick Fil A. They're from Atlanta, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that kind that those were not the concepts that were somewhere in the middle, yeah. in the middle of this. And I like that. Yeah, I think it's just different yeah, from sure. everything else that's here. You know a few chefs. I, I assume you know a couple of chefs from yeah. Raleigh. So yeah. friends here. Anybody that? Yeah. You're? So I, I mean, I haven't talked to Ashley in a while. Christensen. Um, she's awesome. Um, Scott Crawford. I talked to him. Uh, we both ride motorcycles and well he rides both kind of motorcycles but i'm getting into dirt bikes and he's starting to get into dirt bikes so we've been talking about that um so he's a great dude those are the main two i'd say that i know here yeah so most of your restaurants not one-offs i don't mean that but they have their own and there's not really that sort of five letter word that no one likes to use (laughs) chain yeah yeah what made you decide to go that route with superica you know, Super Eco is interesting. So, and that's kind of how our company is. It's kind of split into two. You've got the one-off restaurants, uh, which are just, those are our fun, you know, creative moments. Super Eco is more just my childhood passion as far as like where I like to eat. And um, because it's casual and uh, it is Tex-Mex, I thought this would be fun that, that we could replicate. Early on, I, I really... I had the idea of having them all be different names because I didn't like, I didn't like this five letter word, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I do, I don't, I still don't like it. So it's like, how do you, so we make all our signs, our neon signs or whatever different because we want, I want people to relate to, all right, maybe the sign will help them or maybe a certain aspect of the restaurant Mm -hmm. will help them, you know, because they all look a little bit different, but they all kind of got some of the same vibe too. Cause it's kind of like what happens. So that's kind of my role is to come in and say, all right, how do we keep it from going down that, that five letter drain that we all hate, you know? So I'm kind of the keeper of that. A lot of times people make decisions based on money. And I think that's when things tend to die off at that point. So I'm kind of the keeper of, I'm I'm the one who spends money, you know, (laughs) but it's more about standard. Like, Hey, we're, like in, we had one chef one time where we just opened and the tortilla press, it's basically just a press that presses out our flour tortillas and then we cook them, uh, was broken. So he went over to Whole Foods and he got a big stack of packaged flour tortillas. And it, I looked at him and he looked at the tortillas and he looked at me and I just swiped them right into the trash. Yeah, and he's we, like, we wait a minute. He says, lunch is about to start. I said, you better start rolling, <laughs> you know, because I said, just listen, there's never an option. There's never an option. So, because um, that's one of the, that is flour tortillas are like, like a homemade flour tortilla. That's the staple in Texas. Like you, if there's a, it's just a must. Stuff like that. Yeah. Wood burning grills, the same thing. It's very, it's so much more expensive to cook over wood from the cost of equipment and everything. But the taste. we won't ever. The taste is so yep, different. Yep, yep. I do this little thing at the end called Rapid Fire. Mm-hmm. Restaurants are like children. You don't have mm-hmm. a favorite. We all love them the same. Yeah. It would be hard to say. Of all the restaurants you've created, do you have one that maybe has a special spot in your heart for some reason more than others? Okay, there's two. One, 
is our biggest one. Well, kind of. And that's the Optimist in Atlanta. And that one has a place in my heart because I really felt like um, we hit a chord in the city with that type of restaurant. You know, it was high quality seafood, but it was non-corporate feeling. And it just did really, really well. And that Almost was really, right out of the gate. It yeah, was hugely yeah, successful. Yeah. And then I would say 246, which is our second restaurant. And the reason I say that one is because it's so different than all our others. It's very small. And there's, you know, there's something nice about having a smaller restaurant. All our, you know, a lot of the restaurants in Raleigh are small, which I really love that. You know, from a business perspective, it's really difficult. But I love it because it's, sorry, COVID, but you pack it in there. You pack people in there and it's it's fun. I like being like cramming people in like sardines. You it's know? Like Some people energy. don't like it. It's, it's an energy. energy. Yeah. So the restaurant has like, it has like a, like the hood system in the kitchen. Uh, we inherited and it's terrible. It's not a great hood, but I, I will never change it because I like some of those grandma smells feel coming out of the kitchen mm-hmm. where when the, when the hoods are too good, you don't smell the wood. You don't smell this stuff. That's you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I love it. Every time I go in there, I'm just like, wow, this is just makes me feel like I'm in some grandmother's home. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. When you aren't in your restaurants, what do you like to eat? Where do I like to eat? Mm-hmm. Oh. Where and what? Oh, a lot of barbecue. A lot of barbecue. Um, I love, you know, try to get my Texas fix. So Fox Brothers in Atlanta is one thing. I mean, for the most part, we are going to our restaurants, just checking on it. Yeah, sure. um, I like that, but I also love, you know, all the Southeast Asian type food is really good for me. I love that, you know, Szechuan or whatever. I'm always hitting wherever the Chinatown is in a town. I love to go, but all chefs like that. That's pretty yeah. much what we do. <laughs> we did a story a couple of years ago with our 20 favorite chefs and said, where do you eat when no one's looking? Yeah, and yeah. so we've got this great list of ethnic That's eats awesome. and tiny shopping centers that most people had never heard of, which was kind of cool. <laughs> um, are you a drinker? Do you have a favorite drink or beverage? I don't drink anymore. Okay. I wasn't an alcoholic or anything. Yeah, no. Just don't. I stopped about three years ago, but margaritas are my thing. Margaritas for sure. are your thing. Okay. I was going to ask you about favorite bars. That probably <laughs> in Nashville especially. Um, you've chosen, this is unless there's something else that I want not give you a chance to offer anything, but Atlanta is obvious. You grew up in Houston. What made you choose Nashville? Nashville is another city that I love going. I mean, I love music. I play guitar. I collect guitars and gear, you know, so I love anything that's, that's pairing food and music together. So Nashville is a great, is such an easy drive for us. So, and there was an opportunity there, so I thought it was fun. And Nashville's just kind of blowing up now. So anyway, so. Yeah. Um, it's a fun, fun place to go. Oh, yeah. Side note, what's your favorite guitar? Uh, if you're a collector, you have a, a, you know. I would have to say, uh, you know, a vintage Stratocaster. I mean, that's what I'm, a, a Strat is kind of what I normally lean to when I find myself playing. Okay. <laughs> Anything I haven't asked you that you get asked all the time that maybe that you would love people to know about you or your restaurants? If anything, people come up with preconceived notions about, like, I don't look at myself as, like, like I, I definitely, whatever I can do to fight this, the 
I, I would call it the two word thing that I don't like celebrity chef. I just don't like that because, because what I've noticed is when, when sometimes that gets into people's brains or chef's brains, they go the wrong direction with it. And then all of a sudden it just becomes all about them. And, and I just, I've never felt that way and I don't like that. So just if anything to know about me, it is not about me. I don't look at myself as a celebrity. I hope no one else does. It just, I just love to stay grounded, you know, because I'm only as good as God, that last service, you know? So, um, and I know we're not perfect, so I don't want to put myself out there like that, you know? So that's me. I'm just a nice chill guy. I don't get mad often, maybe once a year. Wow. That's that's a great I'm not quality. That, uh, yeah, I'm not that angry chef. So Restaurant opens the day. This podcast will drop on a Tuesday. The restaurant will, have, will yeah. open the day before. What should we order? If we come in here, we can't order the whole menu. So mm. what is the one thing that we absolutely should order and make sure we eat before we leave here? I think, I don't know that it's on the menu, but <laughs> everyone gets queso. Okay, you get queso and chips. But get queso, you'll get chips, but... Get a side of flour tortillas with them. And then you roll them up. You roll up the tortilla and then you break off a piece and you dip it in the queso and you eat it. So you get to experience the queso and the flour tortilla. And then you could also order queso fundido. Okay. And this is the other thing that people don't, especially in Charlotte, it was so funny to watch, watch what these people are doing. Queso fundido is basically a broiled cheese, you know, and it, it's not like a dip. And people were trying to eat it with a, a chip and the chips are really thin. So they break and right. it's kind of hard. But queso fundido is something I grew up as a kid eating. Like it was like at a at this Mexican restaurant right down the street from my house. And basically, you take this melted cheese and you got to eat it fast because it'll seize up on you. But you put that into a flour tortilla, roll it up, and eat it. It is just ridiculous. And I get the one with shrimp in it. Common is chorizo, but the one with shrimp is really good. So definitely get those as your starters. Well, after that, then it really goes into the all either the fajita type stuff or the enchiladas really all depend on what you like i mean it's all the classic tex-mex thing okay if anyone in texas goes into a tex-mex restaurant they probably get like the classic combo plate which is which we call it i don't know el lopez or something like who knows what we call it now but it's like a cheese enchilada or cheese enchiladas with like a chili gravy on it and a crispy beef taco. That's the classic old school 1950s Tex-Mex thing. But you also want to try some of the new school, which new school is the 1980s, which is the more the wood grilled fajita and stuff like that kind of thing. So, and the pork belly is ridiculous. So wow. that's, that's kind of a non-miss too. Well, thanks for talking to us. I'm yeah, excited to try yeah. it. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks to Ford Fry for visiting with me today. I can't wait to try the queso fundido. For more on Super Rica and Ford, follow along on Instagram at Super Rica Tex-Mex and at Ford Fry. And for more on all the restaurants and shops at Fenton, visit FentonNC.com. This has been Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine. I hope after hanging out with us, you feel more like a Raleigh insider. You can find copies of our magazine around town or subscribe for $10 for 10 issues. We'd love it if you gave this podcast a rating and review and share it with your friends. This podcast was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Gina Stevens. We'll see you again soon.
Want more of Raleigh Magazine in between issues? Visit RaleighMag.com and subscribe to our newsletters. They come out Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Five-minute read keeps you up to date. And especially on Friday, dish on this, where to eat, where to drink, what to do this weekend. Subscribe for free at RaleighMag.com.